Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 346 with Muhammad Becky. I'm excited to share this conversation with Muhammad with you because Muhammad's a guy I've just known and liked and admired and appreciated for years. Met him in high school. We've stayed in touch and he's got a world of wisdom to share. It's funny, back in the day, people would ask me, wait, which one of your buddies is Muhammad? I'd say Muhammad is the guy who's most likely to become a billionaire of my network. And so I think it's fitting that we're talking about seizing career opportunities. So you're going to learn one. Why not to overplan your career? Two, how to identify and capitalize on each career opportunity. And three, the nobility of management. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep346. Now here's Muhammad's story. Muhammad is a founding partner at Astrolabs, a startup hub and training academy for tech entrepreneurs in the Middle East. Astrolabs Dubai is a specialized co-working space that hosts high potential digital technology companies, assisting founders to establish their startups and providing them with a platform to scale globally. Astrolabs Academy delivers a variety of practical training courses on topics related to digital business. Prior to Astrolabs, Muhammad co-founded Dubai-based Namshi, now one of the largest e-commerce companies in the MENA region. He built and led the operations team and helped raise venture capital funding to fuel the company's growth. Muhammad is a former McKinsey & Company strategy consultant with clients across the GCC. Muhammad received an MBA from Stanford University's Graduate School of Business and was selected for a full academic scholarship as a Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum fellow based on professional achievements as well as a demonstrated commitment to the development of the Arab world. He earned a Bachelor of Science in Economics from the Wharton School and a Bachelor of Arts in International Studies and Political Science from the University of Pennsylvania as a member of the Huntsman Program in International Studies and Business. Oh, and he's a Fulbright. Don't think that made it in there. So awesome, dude. I was delighted to get to hang out with Mohammed Mekki in person, and I'm delighted to have our sponsors supporting the show. Check him out. Here is Mohammed. Mohammed, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. Well, it's so fun. We're doing this in person, which happens very rarely, but it's awesome to have you here. It's so great to be here to see where it all happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The magic in closed porch in Chicago. Well, it's really fun because so we've known each other for a good long time. And uh, I think you've known me longer than almost every other guest. Maybe Kate Roche is in the runnings as uh, I also knew her in high school. But if I could start by putting you on the spot a bit, could you share a fond Muhammad Pete memory or, or anecdote? Mm, ah, yes. Yeah, so many. I guess um, we've been through quite a bit. And uh, you're right. Since high school, I've had the pleasure of knowing you. And, you know, Pete's the kind of guy when he puts his mind to something, you know, he just makes it happen. And, and that's one of the things that I really, uh, really admire about Pete. Let me think back, actually, one that's not too far away. Um, and it's a road trip that we took mm -hmm. together down to uh, Olney, Illinois. So we uh, packed our car and took a four and a half hour trip drive down to Southern Illinois um, in pursuit of a business that we were trying to get off the ground together uh, in uh, tutoring. And we found a first potential uh, customer. And so we were excited. We got in the car, uh, drove all the way down for a meeting, basically, uh, to sit down with that school and, and, and figure things out, and then drove all the way back all in one day. So we spent over, I think it was about nine hours in the car that day. 
And during that time, I mean, we, we, we had a lot of, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun. We're, we're joking about things, but in the end, I mean, it was, it was about both of our, you know, passion for getting that company off the ground and, and trying to make things happen. In the end, we, uh, we weren't really able to. No. <laughs> um, we learned a lot from the experience, I think. And, uh, you know, both of us have started different ventures and, and tried things ourselves. And this is one that we can chalk up in the, uh, in the category of, uh, of experiences that we've learned a lot from where we, we just didn't you know, we didn't understand our target market enough. We didn't understand how um, the product that we were building uh, connected to the consumer. Um, but I always remember that trip and the like our passion to kind of go out there and find a customer and get the thing going and what that took and rolling up our sleeves to do it. That was fun. And I was thinking, man, I remember telling people, yeah, I, th- I think we're going to c- sort of um, eliminate the Tudor trail. It was called, you know, business after all. And they said, it's like, oh, oh, why is that? I said, well, well, we didn't get any revenue. Yes, exactly. <laughs> say, Oops. say, oh, oh, you mean profit? It's like, no, no. <laughs> I mean revenue. But we tried really yeah, yeah. hard. So we, you know, we, we even drove all the way down to the other side of the uh-huh. state in order to try to find a, a paying customer. But in the end, it was a sign, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we, we were smart enough, at least at that point, to just heed that sign and move on. One of my favorite moments from that trip actually was when, um, you know, you were driving. And uh, it was getting kind of toasty and you wanted to uh, take off your jacket. I don't know if you remember this, but it <laughs> cracked me up. I still think about this sometimes. And uh, you're like, oh, control the steering wheel. It's like, well, okay. And, and so I, I'm in the passenger seat kind of reaching over to the steering wheel. I'm kind of uncomfortable. It's sort of, you know, the 65-ish miles per hour and a little bit of curviness. Yeah. I was like, I don't really feel like I've got the best angle or control here. <laughs> and so I'm sweating a little and I, I think you perceived that. And after you'd finished removing your jacket, you just said to me, continue. <laughs> <laughs> this is before the days of driverless cars. Yeah, I'm, oh, that's I, I right. Was on yeah. That. yeah, yeah. It's gonna be exactly. dated in uh, in five years. Indeed, indeed. They were driving themselves. Huh. <laughs> well, so one of the first things that drew me to you was when we were in high school, and I was kind of a weird kid who read business books and you know all that stuff. And then when I encountered you, I was like, "Whoa, here's a guy." who is putting some proactive thought into his life, his career, his goals, you know, right up front. And he was like the only person I think I knew who was doing that like as much <laughs> as I was. And I was like, I like him and I'm just going to clamp on. <laughs> and so maybe you could give us some perspective in terms of how do you think about just general goal setting or life and career planning? Because yeah. it seems like it's worked out for you in terms of your path here. So I think, I mean, one of the things that I've learned over time uh, from my own personal experience has been trying actually not to overplan. Uh, and I see that coming up with people that I talk to all the time, like trying to lay out like a five, six step path and, and trying to follow that path. For me, at least, um, I've always tried to optimize for the next step. And if I think back on all of the steps that I've taken Never have I been able to see two steps ahead. Hmm. And always the next step had an, a core effect on what would happen in the step that followed. So let, let me give you some examples. So for instance, um, in thinking about where I wanted to go to college and, and what did I want to study, I had a feeling that something called business and international business specifically was something that really was interesting to me. This is before the days I even knew what like consulting was or what being an entrepreneur really was. I mean, back in the, back in the days of high school, 
But I just decided to take that leap and just went and tried to find what's the best international business program that I can find and just put all my effort toward applying for that and trying to get into the program. While there, I was able to figure out a lot of things that kind of led to, um, you know, me setting the next step, setting the next goal. And in fact, it, it wasn't even jumping into the job market. I ended up uh, learning about something called the Fulbright, right, which is a research fellowship uh, that I had no idea existed when, at the time that I, I, I did the step prior. But once I learned about that, I thought, wow, it's a great opportunity to spend a year off of the career track and actually just doing research in another country and expanding my skill sets in ways that I never, you know, uh, thought about. I suddenly made that into, you know, my passion, my next goal. And so in, in that kind of a way, I found that, you know, even in a career standpoint, now, if we fast forward in making some of the steps that I did and, and, uh, I, I would have never imagined, for instance, jumping out to the, I jumped out to the Middle East and I, I, I started consulting there. I never thought that that would then lead to me going into an entrepreneurial venture, right? But one step always led to the other in ways that I could have never predicted is my point. Mm -hmm. And so trying to think too much about two steps ahead. Um, has never been useful for me. It's always if I just channel that energy into the next step and just really try to put everything in my presence and all of that I have into the next step, then the next door will open. Mm -hmm. And so that's a pretty cool reframe there or distinction. So if you're thinking just about the very next step, what are kind of the criteria or rules of thumb yeah. or values you're using to kind of evaluate a given opportunity and say, yep, that is good stuff? Yeah, I think, you know, that's changed over time. And I used to be optimizing for what's the most outside perceived ah. highest, you know, well, you've done that well. <laughs> it's your impressive looking resume. Well, I, that used to be an obsession, right? So I'm trying to figure out what's the, you know, where, how can I, how can I place myself in a position to be successful and, mm -hmm. and try to get the right stamps, if you will, on the, on the resume. And, and that does have its benefits in terms of opening up some doors and maybe even uh, in retrospect, most importantly, just giving myself the confidence to just eventually mm. step out. But eventually, OK, so you go to a great school and then you get, a, you know, get a great first job and then you get, you know, these accolades and you do all this stuff and you get promoted and you do all the right things. Um, but then what? Right. I mean, mm -hmm. so there comes a point at which, you know, there's no next most impressive step to take unless yeah. you're just going up a corporate ladder specifically in within the same company going up you know one step after the other after the other in our day and age a lot of people are shifting around to different jobs different paths all these types of things so i th at a certain point you're like well when do i jump right and when yeah. when do i actually say you know what i'm just going to like try to think about what will make me happy and what i'd like to just do right mm -hmm. um given all the stuff from before so yeah so there was phase 1 which yes i was definitely chasing uh, unabashedly um <laughs> chasing after a lot of those, you know, uh, stamps, if you will, uh, which gave me the cushion and the background and the, the experience. And then phase two, I would say started from when I co-founded an e-commerce company was when I jumped off of a very stable and, you know, reputable job um, as a consultant at McKinsey. And it was a, you know, a, a, a fantastic job, actually, and I was enjoying it. But at, at a certain point, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and jump off and, and just take a big risk and, and try to start something. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really cool perspective there in terms of stopping to think, okay, so rather than 
pursuing like the next cool, big, prestigious thing. And at some point, you're going to run out of it. It's like, I guess I'm going to run for Senate. Is that what yeah. I should do next? <laughs> I guess. But you sort of say, well, it's cool in terms of being proactive. It's like, well, now is the time I'm going to choose to prioritize this. And I think I even experienced that in college a bit in terms of I was always trying to do the impressive thing. And then once, you know, I got my job offer early on in yep. senior year for, you know, a great job at Bain, I was like, okay, well, well, now I got this time here. I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just do what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. And it was fun. I wrote a book just because I wanted to write a book. Yep. And that was really fun. Exactly. So that's cool to think about when to jump. We had an author who wrote that book uh, when called to jump. When to Jump. Yeah, and, I mean, and it's not even just about going off and doing an entrepreneurial venture or whatever the case might be, but it's jumping off of the tried and and, and trodden path, mm-hmm. right? Of just going from one step to the next step to the next step. Say, okay, I'm going to take a left turn and it's going to be a risk, but uh, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, if we could just stop for a moment at the stamps collection phase, I'm curious to hear. So you've done a fine job with your stamp collecting. We talk about, you know, Penn, Huntsman, Stanford, McKinsey, Fulbright. I mean, you know, all the things a VC (laughs) or a hiring manager might like to see, you know, in a compact little uh, presentation. So any pro tips when it comes to the applications or the interviews or how you managed to nail those again and again? So I think that uh, for a lot of different, you know, prestigious programs or schools, they are blessed with actually having way more applicants that actually qualify um, than they have space for. Right. And so you, the, the challenge always is that even if you are qualified for a particular program or for entry into an opportunity, differentiating yourself and distinguishing yourself from the rest of the applicant pool is the challenge. So I think the aspect of these applications that I spent a lot of time on and almost obsessed about was actually the essays and the story uh, Mm -hmm. behind why I wanted to do something. comes back to your first question about kind of, you know, the taking uh, the step, like, you know, how to decide on what is the next step. Once I had decided, for instance, that I really wanted to, after university, go and, and do some research as a Fulbright fellow, I spent a lot of time, you know, in introspection, actually, and thinking about why is that and how will I apply it? And I channeled a lot of that into the application and into the into the process. And I think um, the challenge is differentiating yourself from the pool based on your personal story. Uh, similarly, when I was applying for for an MBA, there are a lot of very well-qualified consultants that apply to go to the top MBA programs. And you risk being just put into the pool of, oh, another consultant that's mm-hmm. applying to go to a top MBA program. And so I tried to choose my stories based on um, one, you know, my my own personal experience and background of what can I bring to the table, given my background that's a bit different from everybody else. So kind of thinking about what distinguishes you from, you know, outside of work, right? Mm-hmm. What and, and 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 for me, I have my, you know, cultural and religious background that kind of played a role as well in how I think about and how I uh, interact with the world. And I wasn't shy in bringing that kind of stuff up in, mm-hmm. in the in the application saying, you know, yes, you know, I am a Muslim and I have like, you know, this is how it informs who I am. And this is how I can make the class actually a richer 
class um, mm-hmm. and bringing in examples of that. So uh, whereas some people might shy away from some of the these types of topics, I feel like, you know what? Why not, you know, bring them to the table and show what makes you a full person that's going to really distinguish you from just the pool of everybody else that's there. And I think that's probably if I were to extract one learning from uh, these different applications, that's what I've tried to uh, make um, happen throughout. That's cool. But it's funny, I'm looking at the study Quran that you uh, recommended I get, and it is ample. (laughs) <laughs> with its notations. And this is maybe sort of random, but I remember you had an award for reciting or having memorized, like, is it the whole Quran or like large portions of it? Yeah. So I, there was, that was something that I did when I was actually out on the Fulbright. Yeah. And it was, again, something I would have never predicted would have happened. But while I was out there, I uh, found like a classical teacher uh-huh. and I, I was able to explore this other side and, you know, uh, learn uh, things that I, I hadn't expected that I would do when I when I first went out there. Right. But I just if you keep yourself open to what you might who you might intersect with. And that was an example where I started something. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to take this all the way to the conclusion mm-hmm. and actually try to get what's equivalent to kind of like a diploma or a certification uh-huh. and actually the recitation. And it became something really important to me. And I did take that on. Yeah. I just, how does one memor, that's, those are huge. It's chunks. not memorization. It's, it's actually recitation. Of oh, the, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, so it's sort of like pronouncing it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. exactly. Okay. Well, much you. easier. Much right. easier. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, now I'm clear there. Thank you. No worries. Uh, but, and so I have so much I wanted to hear from you in terms of generally, it seems that you kind of think and operate a little bit differently than others in the best possible way, you know, <laughs> not that you're a freak or a weirdo, but uh, I think a couple of things that come to mind there is at one point, I recall you were at a workplace and you earned a triple bump, Yeah, not a single or a double bump as one might get at the end of a year or a review cycle, but a triple bump, which happens, I guess, maybe never or super rarely there. How's that done? Actually, the context was that uh, it was early on in my career, and I decided to just really pour myself into uh, this job and try to find. So what was a slower start, basically, in the first projects that I was doing, I ended up finding an opportunity where I'd be working on a really small team. And... um the exposure, it was a combination as a lot of things are in life between luck and, you know, being prepared and really, you know, rolling up your sleeves, right? So the luck element of, of this experience was actually getting assigned to a project where I did have a chance to shine in front of a senior client. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as a very junior member, kind of, you know, out of undergrad, you don't usually get the opportunity to be the client facing uh, person on the ground. But just because our team was, you know, it was it was smaller than perhaps it should have been. And there was just too much work to get done. And I had built up some rapport and trust with the partner. He just sent me off. And mm-hmm. it was kind of scary, but also exciting. This like, oh, wow, you, I'm the one who's representing this firm in front of the client in a couple of the different um, locations or the, the the offices. And so uh, once I had that, I think that's the luck element. So you you have that sort of 
window or that opportunity, Mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, well, if I hit this one out of the park and I really, you know, show that, you know, I'm able to do much more, like this is my chance, right? And I think this one experience was actually what led to, it was probably the most important factor in that, you know, review cycle when, when we were looking back at, you know, how I performed is actually the fact that the feedback from the client being that, wow, Muhammad was somebody that I felt like I could, you know, that was really adding a lot of value and was, you know, representing the firm. And uh, I got a lot of good feedback from the client side. And so that made, you know, the partners happy. um, And we were able to actually make a demonstrable positive impact on their business. And so these things, I think, when you see those openings, mm-hmm. I think that's what the time, you know, a lot of times you're just like in a job and you're just kind of doing the day to day. But every once in a while you get that chance. Right. And then when that chance comes, you just got to like be, have your eagle eyes open and just ready to just jump. Uh, oh, jump on yeah. It. And I love that. Well, so here we go. Talking about you thinking differently. I hope you'd find some gold here <laughs> pursuing this <laughs> this line of inquiry. Yeah. And so, yeah, when it comes to the opportunity, because you might view that opportunity in a completely different yeah. mindset in terms of, oh my gosh, I'm already overworked. There's no way I could take on this extra thing. I'm exhausted. Or it's like, oh crap, you know, I'm in over my head. I'm just going to try to not screw anything up. Yep. So like, what are the key things that could go very badly? I'm just going to make sure that doesn't happen as opposed to how can I just super knock it out of the park and identifying that opportunity yep. when it emerges. And what this struck for me is I remember, okay, hey, I've known you since high school. So high school memories are coming back. I remember I was in a uh, long time ago. <laughs> I was in National Honor Society and we did very little in National Honor Society. I guess yep. we were being honored. Yep. And so we were at a meeting and they said, okay, so, oh yeah, clothing drive is a great service idea. Yeah. So there's a little bit of like agreement behind that. Like, like yeah, that should be the thing that somebody we do. should do that. Yeah, yeah. And then the advisor asked, okay, so who would like to head up the clothing drive? And I thought, well, you know, I'm just a sophomore or junior. I don't know. It seemed like this should be something a senior does. Yeah. Does. I was like a sophomore or maybe a junior. And there's like a pause for a couple seconds and then no one raised their hand. And I thought that was really funny mm. because what I heard her say was, who wants to be the National Honor Society president next year? <laughs> you know, it's exactly. Like, it's like, it's like, like, we, we do just about nothing. Yep. So if this is the one thing we do yep. and you do it, That's and then we say, who yeah. should lead us? It should be that person. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I don't, and again, I guess I was in some of that, you know, prestige stamp collecting uh, phase myself in high school and, and college a bit. But yeah, I think that's cool. It's like, how do you view that in terms of like, oh, that seems like a burden and exhausting versus, oh, this is my window to really make some things happen. And I think the point that you brought up about risk limiting is also an important one, right? It's Mm -hmm. not just the burden. It's also like, oh, wow, things could go wrong. And you know what? If I just do the cover the basics, Mm -hmm. I'll be okay. Versus going in there, um, what I tried to do consciously in this this example, I was like, you know what? Let's just go and just try to just just like go with this, and let's, let's see what we can do here. So going in and having senior meetings with people, and like sitting down and really trying to uncover, we're trying to figure out in this particular project, you know, how to really you know optimize the loan process, right? Mm-hmm. How to make it uh, much more efficient, and 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 how to remove a lot of the problems out of the process. So it involved a lot of interviewing and figuring out what people are currently doing and really doing some research into best practices. And, but I took all that on and just said, you know what? I'm going to talk to everybody and, and, you know, and really kind of 
uncovered a lot and then just went into a cave and just kind of like wrote a lot of that stuff out, did a lot of research, came back, presented, got the blessing of the partner and then went to some senior people in the in the on the on the client side and gave them my recommendations on mm-hmm. what we should, and they they liked them and they were interested and they started implementing them. So I think that was an example of just saying, you know what, you know, you got that chance, so just go for go all in. What's the worst case scenario of what's going to happen, right? Something might go wrong. You were junior anyway, whatever. I mean, it's not going to be the end of the world. I think that's the the end of the story is that you're, you know, it'll be a learning experience. It's fine. It's not mm-hmm. a big deal. But the upside is is potentially really big because you're like, you know, you're proving yourself. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. But hey, let's keep going in terms of you thinking differently yeah. and digging into some of your earlier career yeah. moments. So you were at another workplace and uh, you spotted some inappropriate behavior and kind of just really meanness, you know, on the part of a somewhat senior leader. Tell us a little bit about what was going on and, and trying to, you know, preserve as much confidentiality and uh, integrity as possible. Kind of what was going on and, and how were people reacting and how did you react a little bit differently? Yeah, I mean, it's surprising sometimes you find yourself in an environment that purports to be, you know, a really positive one and of high caliber. And you still have these bad apples that are inside and they've somehow survived and even thrived within this environment. You just don't know how that happened. And for me, it was stark because I started on day one on this team that had just been assembled. And it was like, you know, from the very beginning, I felt something was off with this manager and the team dynamic. Something was a bit off. I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was, but it didn't take very long. I mean, it was within that same day, you know, hours later. And, you know, you had a a manager basically um, hurling personal insults, kind of telling this uh, more junior member of the team that they're just, they're, you know, they're not worth as much um, as he is. This is why they pay him less. Things that you like really just horrible things to say, especially to a junior person. It's not, it wasn't done in a jest or joking kind yeah. of way. This was kind of like, <laughs> I'm trying to get you. Uh-huh. And I remember feeling awful that I didn't like immediately stand up to this person mm-hmm. as it happened. Yeah. But then I was like playing back excuses in my mind. Oh, you know, I just started that day and I was kind of like, it took me by surprise and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, I would hope that now if that happened and I was around, I would just like take that person to task immediately. Mm-hmm. But I was a bit junior and it was a bit like just jarring and sort of surprising. So I kind of just was, you know, I just sort of like took that in. Um, I thought about it. And decided that, you know, after seeing more behavior from him in a similar way, I think, um, you know, none of it was directed directly at me, uh, but I, I saw it happening. I decided, you know what, somebody's got to say something. So I I just said, OK, I'm just going to go in and, and report this guy to HR, to the, you know, to the senior manager. And I started with a trusted senior uh, manager within the company, mm-hmm. telling them the story, being like, this, this is what's happening. And I don't feel comfortable working in that environment. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I either like to get off of this project, like to figure out what, you know, what, what can we do, basically. And so he opened up the door then to, you know, an inquiry that ended up happening, HR led. And it turned out the really sad thing about it was that, and this is just a lesson that, I mean, to, to learn is that. This person, they interviewed a bunch of people he had managed over the last couple of years. Years. And the stories came out at that stage where he was just repeatedly doing this over and like abusing basically his, you know, people on his team. 
And uh, nobody had stood up to him and nobody had said anything. Right. And he just kind of continued. And that's how people like that just continue mm-hmm. along. But I, I think the conclusion was a very actually ended on a positive note. I think uh, I, I gained a lot of respect for this company because based on these findings, even though this was a very strategic project and one what he was leading exactly that they pulled him off the project. Um, he was, you know, basically reprimanded and they reconfigured the team very soon thereafter. All right. And I, and I think it's, it also shows that even a junior member of the team can have that kind of an impact and, mm-hmm. and, uh, somebody has got to stand up. So that was, that was kind of a scary moment for me because it was just like, you know, even though I hadn't done anything wrong or anything, but it's just always difficult to be the person kind of that's the whistleblower, if you will, mm-hmm. to kind of stand up and say, you know what, this shouldn't be happening here. This is against our values. This is not the kind of place that I want to be working in. You see that in the news all the time, you know, these scandals, whether it's molestation or harassment or verbal abuse, and it can persist for many, many victims in many years. And it does take some courage to go there. So I think that's awesome that you did do that. And a cool reminder that the first step doesn't necessarily, you know, need to be like crazy. I'm going to get on CNN and and I'm going to shout to the mountaintops like, Okay, this seems pretty off to me. Yep. There's a leader that I trust. Yep. I'm going to run it by him and we're going to see how that goes. That's exactly it. So I didn't know what to do. And so I said, you know what, let's start there and Mm -hmm. uh, test that out. And then when it really, you know, thankfully that person for that person, it really resonated and said, okay, you know what, this we need to do something. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I, I, you know, that support from a senior manager, I think, makes all the difference in the world. Right. Had had he shut it down, I think it would have been really hard for me then to go and escalate. So I think, you know, it, it reinforced the fact that this is off. This is not the way things should be. Mm-hmm. Well, so thinking a little bit now in terms of how things should be, you've learned some lessons and now you're co-owning a business and managing folks and being all grown up. What are some of the best practices that you're seeing and implementing when you get to run things your way? Yeah, so it's interesting because I come from a family. So my, my parents are both um, physicians. And we have a lot of doctors in the family. And it's like a lot of, the, you know, maybe um, that immigrant generation coming in with, you know, high degrees and, and um, have a passion for doing good also, like really wanting to, you know, and the, the, you can't argue with like a doctor healing people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just good, right? Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes when you're, you look at, you know, and, and you look at like a, a somebody who's in management, right? So, or somebody who's in business, it's like, okay, this guy, this person's out to kind of make more money or, or um, it's, it uh, doesn't seem Cash like is such king, a, greed you know, is good. <laughs> it's exactly, it's not the most noble of callings on the, on the surface, right? When you, when you look at it. And I think, this is something that, uh, you know, I've, I've thought about. And what I've found over time is that uh, actually, you know, management can be quite a noble calling. And it depends a lot about how, you know, the perspective that, that you, you bring to the table. Uh, and this is particularly for, for those who are, you know, embarking on the path of like, you know, uh, managing your first employee or, or starting, you know, on a small team or, or even later on when you have like a bunch of people that report into you to think about just the impact that you can have as a manager on that person's not just their career, but their life. It really puts a different perspective to the table because, uh, the small things that you do to develop and to help, you know, push, uh, and develop your team, uh, really can have a huge impact. I was uh, managing a team in a previous role, 
and then seeing some of the team members actually go off and get amazing opportunities and other jobs and really upgrading and going, you know, we, we, we pulled in somebody from a completely different industry, you know, and who took a leap of faith and jumped into, you know, tech and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and e-commerce. And then she ended up kind of continuing along that path and jumping into a couple of other companies um, that are that are well regarded and continuing to uh, improve her position and 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 getting a lot more opportunities. And so you kind of think it was like, wow, that interview and convincing her to kind of actually jump off from, you know, the hospitality industry into, you know, the sort of like the tech and, and e-commerce industry actually did have like a, a big impact on her life in the end because that ended up changing her path, right? And that's a responsibility for sure. Um, but it's also, it's exciting because then it like opened up a lot more doors and and hopefully the skills and lessons learned from the experience being on the team would be something to be able to take um, with you for the rest of your life. And so that's the element of management that is, uh, I think, something which makes it a really important and and meaningful uh, path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And so that's a great reframe in terms of it's your responsibility is big in terms of where you are kind of end up leading people in the lives that they get to have, as well as sort of the day in, day out sort of skills development and coaching and growing that can either happen or not happen based upon your willingness to invest time and candor (laughs) into your relationship. Any other kind of things that you swear by in terms of, you know, effective teaming or productivity? Yeah, so that's kind of big picture stuff. And then if we get down into smaller details, I think uh, a few things that, you know, we at Astrolabs now, the company that uh, I'm currently managing, uh, are are quite passionate about. I think one one is uh, always closing the loop. So we're we're always, whether if you've opened up something with somebody or somebody's expecting something from you to make sure that you're getting back to that person as quickly and as kind of comprehensively as possible. It makes a big difference. I think um, whether that's within your own team or uh, with outside partners or people that you're dealing with, I, I think that's something that distinguishes our organization. And we, on like a very tactical path, we're big proponents of inbox zero or mm-hmm. you know zero inbox basically, which is to make sure that you're on top of everything that's coming into your, you know, uh, into your email, into your inbox. And once you've cleared something out, once you've dealt with it, you're archiving it, you're getting it out of your inbox mm-hmm. and the things that are in your inbox. And now even in Gmail, there's a new snooze feature, um, which used to be something that was a plugin called Boomerang. But you could just say, OK, you know what? I don't need to deal with this right now. I'm going to get back to it in another couple of weeks or in another uh, another week or so. And you can have it leave your inbox and come back in mm-hmm. um, after a week just to make sure you're not letting things fall off of your uh, radar. And that's one of the things that we're, we value a lot, um, within the context of, uh, our company. And on the same, and the same time, we're like, you know, we're against FaceTime and just being there for the sake of mm-hmm. being there and doing things. But I, I think there is an importance to actually making sure that you're following through on your commitments and you're closing the loop with people and you're on top and not letting things just fall through the cracks mm-hmm. and being proactive. And so these are some of the, the, the ways in which we achieve that. Right. And so, well, it's funny. 
We've had some guests who say, oh, don't, you know, look at your email first thing in the morning. You're getting reactive and, oh, you know, are you really productive if you just answered all of your emails? Is that what it's about? So how do you kind of balance the perspective associated with, oh, you got to have that deep work, that quiet focus time, the maker time versus, you know, crush every email? It's a really good point. And I think um, you can get into this trap of just letting other people put a bunch of stuff on your to-do list um, if you're just reactive and that's all you do. I think closing the loop only applies in my perspective on things that you've started or where there is a already a relationship. So I'm not saying that any, any message that comes into your inbox, you have to reply to or yeah. like deal with. Um, you get like inbound, right? That you just decide, you know what? I never asked for this. This person just reached out to me out of nowhere. I'm just going to archive it. Right. <laughs> um, and that, that was a change for me because I'm like, so like, just like, I need to deal with everything. Uh-huh. Right. It's like, well, no, actually I don't need to deal with this because you know what? It's it just, I don't have time. And this person's like taking my time. But if it's something where I've opened up that thread or there is a, um, an expectation of getting back, I sure make sure that, you know, I, I do make sure that I do that. What balances it out is making sure that there is a weekly um, and maybe longer term sort of, you know, goals for juicy things to achieve and actually blocking off some time um, on a calendar to say, you know what, I'm going to go dive deep into, you know, drafting X, Y or Z, or I'm going to make sure that I'm I'm getting the brain time in order to structure this project that I want to do. Right. Versus just being on the on the email and just replying to everything in, in, in lightning speed. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, there is a balance. I'm just passionate about making sure that things don't fall through the cracks is my, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's a pet peeve of mine, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, the, the way we balance it out is saying, okay, as a team, what is everybody planning to achieve besides the day-to-day stuff, right? Everybody knows, you know, okay, you got to do your day-to-day job, but what are the bigger, juicier things that as a team we want to achieve this week, right? And we we set those, we have those discussions. And from there, we can see if there's ways that the team can collaborate and and work together on some of the points. Um, and then we can keep each other honest. Like, okay, well, which of these bigger projects have we gotten done? And, and uh, if we haven't, why? And uh, uh, if we have, what else can we do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a good mechanism that we use internally to make sure that we're not just running through the hamster wheel of answering emails. That's good. You know, as we discuss this, you remind me that uh, I owe you an email about the lead generation thing we talked about. Yes, indeed. So no, no, it's good. uh, Good brainstorming and working together. Yes. (laughs) Tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention or or highlight before we shift gears into talking about some of your favorite things. I'd say one of the things that I I tried to do, took the opportunity in a transition point, which was business school, was to really shift things up a bit. And in my case, I wanted to jump into the tech sector and I wanted to jump um, to a new geography. I decided that I couldn't do both at one time. So that was one thing that I thought about. It's like, well, I tried, but I couldn't really figure out this new sector that I've never worked in and all this and in a new geography, right? So I went ahead and just um, decided to, uh, you know, that that actually going to business school is a great chance to change something big. Um, and, and it's a good like post or signpost. Uh, and so I, I went ahead and uh, jumped out to Dubai, to the Middle East and continued doing the kind of work that I was doing in the past. So that wasn't as big of a change, but it, I had my eye open um, to the new sector that I was, I was hoping to get into and eventually was able to make that jump. Uh, didn't know exactly how it was going to happen, 
So again, going back to the, the earlier point about not over planning, um, I did have an idea of where I wanted to go, but I let that opportunity kind of emerge as I was settling in, as I was understanding the landscape and then the chance to be able to get some funding and actually uh, start a company happened in a, in a way that I couldn't have predicted. And so I think that's one of the other learnings that I've had is that just taking that risk and jumping out and, and you know, whether it's an international assignment within a company or, or you know, a chance just to experience something different earlier on in the career, it's a lot easier to do, mm-hmm. you know, you just, and, and, and you kind of just jump on those opportunities would be, you know, uh, one, uh, like a piece of advice is just like, you know, whatever sounds like it's a little bit crazy, a little bit different, just try it. And, and, uh, and, and it'll just, a, it'll give you those stories that we talked about in the past. We go back to the kind of the applications and being able to distinguish yourself. Like if you're just in the same job, doing the same thing, kind of going up, uh, it's harder to distinguish yourself. I mean, you're going to have to dig deeper. But if you really had a, cha- you know, an, an, uh, even a, a short term experience that's a bit different that, you know, you kind of took a leap, took a risk. Um, it's something that you can anchor a, a really cool story about and really distinguish yourself when you're trying to get to the next step or the step after that. Well, cool. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote that you find inspiring? So one that I use often is you don't get what you don't ask for. Mm. Um, and I think it's something that um, I've learned that, you know what, it doesn't hurt to ask in, in any context, right? It just doesn't hurt to ask. Nobody's going to give you something unless you're going to ask for it, mm-hmm. right? And if with it, whether it's in a professional environment and you're you're thinking about taking on more responsibility or you want to do something a bit different or, you know, um, you want to stretch yourself, yes, an excellent manager will say, will see the potential mm-hmm. and, and, and place you perfectly. But a lot of times you're not going to get that chance without asking for it. Right. Or even in, in a, in a much more mundane situation, right. If you're traveling somewhere and you're trying to get an extra perk or you're trying to, you know, you just, nobody's going to give you something if you, unless you, uh, you actually make that request. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Um, you know, I think Clay uh, Christensen from uh, Harvard Business School mm-hmm. uh, did a, there was a study or it's like an article on how, how will you measure your life basically. Uh, and it kind of comes back to the, if we come back to the point that we talked about earlier about management being a, a higher calling, you know, you're, you're not going to measure your life based on how many widgets you sell, right? Yeah. And I'm going to sell, you know, 5% more widgets that I've got like 15% week on week growth mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, or I, I, I was able to, um, you know, get this project approved by senior management, right? These are not the things that you're going to remember or that will make an impact, um, on your life long term, but, you know, making an impact on people and the, and the people around you and your team and all these types of things are, and they're more meaningful. And I think he, he delves into that. I believe it even turned into a book. Um, but that's an interesting one to kind of, uh, to take a look at. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? In this theme, in the spirit, I think, um, there's a book called Rework 
that's a little bit more entrepreneurial sort of focused, but but it, it does have lessons across the board on just how to be um, efficient and productive in a work environment. And, and they kind of challenge some of the uh, traditional assumptions about uh, what is uh, a uh, an effective work environment. And mm-hmm. it's done by founders of 37 Signals, which is like a distributed tech company that, you know, didn't everybody was working in a different environment and they're, you know, wherever they wanted to work from that they bootstrapped, they didn't take funding. So it's kind of a unique context mm. and and had some really interesting, juicy insights uh, to take from there. Oh, cool. And how about a favorite tool? Probably LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Uh, I find myself using LinkedIn a lot. And uh, as I've used you know, social media less and less, I think the utility of and uh, the power of uh, that tool in a business context um, has been quite powerful. Mm-hmm. And have it a favorite habit. I don't know if it's a habit, but in, in it's something that we, we, my wife and I have been talking more purposefully about in being out in Dubai. I think making a habit out of it's not easy with two little kids now, uh, but spending uh, some quality time out here in the U.S. or or you know making sure that we are staying connected mm-hmm. um, with our friends and our family and everything. So I think, you know, we just spent a couple of weeks out actually in the Bay area where, you know, I went to to school and have a lot of classmates and everything. So keeping in touch in a person, like face to face kind of a way beyond the emails, beyond this, but actually just meeting up, seeing the kids and, and uh, keeping those uh, relationships. Um, even though, you know, we're a 16 hour plane ride away from, you know, San Francisco uh, and it does take an extra effort. I think it's something that's well worth it. And, and it's something that, you know, is important to us. Oh, yeah. Speak to seeing the kids. Jonathan has probably woken up. Uh, mm, since we've I been can't speaking. wait. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me, is there a particular nugget that you find that you share it often and people kind of quote it back to you like, oh, yeah, Muhammad says this. <laughs> I don't know if I've reached uh, this kind of <laughs> level of, uh, <laughs> but I, I think I think probably the the joke internally at Astro Labs is definitely even like the quote that I mentioned is like you don't get what you don't ask mm-hmm. for. It's like sometimes like you don't get dot 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 right. So that's probably the one that I would bring up. <laughs> All right, and if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, um, you know they can reach out on LinkedIn. Actually, I'd be I'd be happy to connect. Just drop me a little note and uh, connect. Cool. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. You know, I I think if we just tie together a few of the things that we're talking about, um, right, you know, keep your eye open for these opportunities to outperform and to do something fantastic. And and, uh, that's kind of like your lucky opening and just jump on it and outperform and go go above and beyond. Uh, Look for chances to distinguish yourself from the rest of the pack. And that that might mean taking an international assignment or jumping on, you know, doing something uh, a bit different with your with your career that's outside of, you know, taking that left turn as opposed to everybody else going up a a ladder. Uh, Think about, you know, chances to be able to do that, which will position you really well, whether you're trying to apply for something or, you know, you're looking for your next opportunity. You have something a little bit different and deeper to be able to talk about and to show that you're, you're willing to take a risk and willing to do something uh, uh, new and, and different. 
And then, uh, yeah, I would love to connect and uh, challenge people to come out over to Dubai and uh, see mm-hmm. what's happening in the uh, tech sector. And we've got lots of companies now that are from all over the world actually setting up their um, their presence in Dubai and uh, and scaling up there and, and uh, to emerging markets around the region. So uh, happy to to connect with uh, your listeners who might be you know passing through and uh, are interested in uh, in technology and in in uh, in, in the region. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I would just encourage folks to take Muhammad up on that. Uh, he's a gracious host, sliced watermelon and more. Watermelon often. is key. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Muhammad, I'm glad we finally got to do this. It's been a blast. And um, thanks yeah, for keep having on me. Rocking. Yeah, this is great. I love the way Muhammad put that. If you just really try to put all that you have into the next step, and then a subsequent door will open up for you. And especially if you've identified that that current step that you're putting all of your energy into is a big, special, cool opportunity, then it's going to lead to some great places. And I'm thinking about the author, Richard Koch. He wrote the 80-20 principle, and he's going to be on the show one of these days. We've been back and forth. So soon enough. Awesome, dude. Anyway, the book 80-20 principle, he says that most of us make the mistake of underinvesting when we find ourselves in one of those special opportunities in which maybe 20% of your efforts are going to yield 80% of the results. You know, some of those special opportunities that have like 16 times the weight, the leverage, the impact than your typical opportunity because it's one of those special 20% moments that come around. Well, anyway, most of us make the mistake of underinvesting when we find ourselves there, but not Muhammad. He kind of reinforced that notion that when he finds those moments, he just goes all in as opposed to, you know, kind of diversifying and making sure that you're being balanced and putting a little bit of yourself into multiple baskets. Like, no, no, this is the big one. So therefore, let's go big with it. So I thought that was a pretty cool application of the 80-20 principle in the realm of career opportunities and, and professional world. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep346. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll hear from our next guest. It's Drew Dudley. He's got one of the most watched TED Talks ever, talking about inspirational everyday leadership, how you can make it happen. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.